bring a message on Palm Sunday, which is the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ, and we're going to bring it relevant to tie it right into the day, what it means. But how many know when God speaks this here story, he didn't just say it in Matthew's gospel, he didn't just say it in Mark's gospel, he just didn't say it in Luke's gospel, he brings it in John with accurate details in there, all corresponding, all saying exactly the same thing. So apparently to Christ, it was very, very important by the work of the Holy Spirit that each one of us understands what this Palm Sunday are. It's traditionally known also as Passion Sunday means to each one of us. So we're going to read this here story, and then we're going to begin to break it down. It's very, very incredible when we see about Christ the King. Because what I've learned about this here story is that not only does it parallel what's happened then 2,000 years ago, but it's also a time that's parallel, uh, that's parallel to the return of Jesus Christ. And the same things that God did then are the same things that God once again is doing, preparing us for the second coming. How many know the message for the first coming was repent, the kingdom of God is at hand? How many know the, 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 the question, the message for the second coming is going to be repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? It's never changed. It's going to be there. And so you're going to see this here as we break it down. And this morning, I want to just start here in Matthew, and we're going to take his account. The others are very, very similar. They're almost all exactly the same. You heard about John as they read it this morning. But in Matthew 21, it says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. If you know anything about Bethany, Bethpage, Jerusalem, they're all very, very close together. And I believe it's very, very significant, the place that the Son of God was actually caught up uh, after the 50 days, the Bible says in Pentecost, we saw that, that the Son of God was caught up. And where was he? He was at the foot of Bethany and uh, Bethpage over there. It was called the Mount of Olives. And it's interesting when the Son of God comes back, he's going to become, after he connects his church, connects all of, all of us up together, he's going to bring us back. And how many know it's going to be at the same place of the Mount of Olives? So anyway, I'm not going to develop that today, but Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there and with its colt beside it. Unite them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them. Everybody look at somebody and say, the Lord needs you. The Lord needs Amen. Not only does he need them, in other words, this was something that God had went, preordained, foreordained the whole thing, and it says he went and he will immediately let you take them. So how many know God in his providence already prepared it in the owners in there for the donkey to be used in this here celestial, if you want to call it, celebration of the Son of God in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? Okay, so every donkey owner would want his donkey to be is in a part of this here because they were used oftentimes in these celebrations in there. But then notice what it says over there. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming. This is a quote from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Your king is coming and he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So the point that I want to just bring out there, as soon as you enter, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Unite them and bring them to me. How many know as long as the colt, as long as the donkey was tied, how many know it was useless to the master? And so when we speak of the triumphant entry, we speak of Palm Sunday, it's a time of reflection inside of our life that God wants to use each and every one of us. And how many know that when man didn't respond, how many know in the time of Balaam, how many know God used the donkey to speak forth his word? And we know that they're very stubborn by characteristic out there, but God used them to confront the whole system of that their day. 
So the point that I want to bring is, what is tying you up today? What is it that the enemy has tied you up that you're parked, that you're stopped, that you're not moving? What is it? Is it a disappointment? Is it a fear? Is it a failure? Is it a mistake? Is it an addiction? Whatever it is that has bound you up on on this here time of celebration on Palm Sunday, it's a time to cut the cords off your life. It's a time to loose ourselves that we can be everything that God wants us to be and fulfill the destiny that heaven has mandated before the foundation for your life. But until the cult was loose, until we are tied up, we are not going to fulfill the purpose out there. Why? Because the writer said over there, as soon as you enter, you will see the donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them. And the prophetic word today to every one of you is untie yourself. It's no longer you that wants to be in that rut. It's the enemy that has kept you in that rut. And it's time to get untied. It's time to break the bands. It's time to break the bondages. It's time to break the addictions. It's time to break the fear. It's time to break those ungodly habits. It's time to adjust the attitude. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. The king wants to come in and he wants to clean house inside of you. He wants to clean house inside of me. And until we're untied, we're never going to fulfill the prophetic mandate of the church. And we can read on and see how. It says, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. And most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And Jesus was the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in heaven and the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now we have to realize that this was just the week of the Passover. People would come into Jerusalem that week to celebrate it. On an average, uh, Jerusalem had a population of about 50,000 people back then. And during Passover time, it would grow to 500 or half a million people, 500,000 people. And so people were coming into Jerusalem. And now Jesus is coming down and he's on this colt and they had an expectation of him. They believed that he was going to do something. But what they thought he was going to do and what he was going to do were two different things. See, they were under Roman occupation. Uh, They believed that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come and that he was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to deliver them from the Roman uh, occupation that they were in. And they they believed that he was going to set them free. Now, he was going to set them free, but not the way... They wanted to be set free. And, and, and that really brings us to the whole topic of, of what we expect from God, what we expect from our spouses, what we expect from one another. And see, so often people go to God and they have an expectation. And what God is saying, he's not there to meet your expectation, but he is there to meet your need. And Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, and he was coming in on a colt. He was coming in as the king to establish a kingdom. But the kingdom that he was coming to establish was to change our hearts. That's what it was all about. Because man had sin. Man was full of sin. And man needed salvation. They needed deliverance. They needed help from the sin that dominated them. In fact, if you read in... um, Zechariah 9, I believe it is, it says, 
Yeah, Zechariah 9, 9. This is the prophecy about him coming into Jerusalem. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. He was endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of of a donkey. So Jesus, when he was coming into Jerusalem, he was coming in, humble as their king to establish their kingdom, but his purpose was to change the hearts inside of every human being and to bring them to salvation with God. That's what he was coming for. They had an expectation that he was going to do this, but his his purpose was to meet the need in their heart, a heart that did not go after God, a heart. In fact, it goes on. I'm just going to read on in verse 12. It says, then Jesus entered the temple. So here he comes in on the colt, and then he enters the temple, and then he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of the selling doves, and he said to them, my scriptures declare, my scripture declares, my word declares that my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And so that is not what they were expecting. That wasn't what they were expecting. They didn't get what they expected. But he was giving them the key. He was giving them the key to what they needed in their hearts that would change them. Because we need to change. That's what it's all about, changing our lives so that we can be like him. And so Jesus, when he came in as king to establish the kingdom of God, It was for the purpose of changing the hearts of men, bringing salvation where we could not save ourselves. We could not earn it ourselves. We could not make ourselves righteous. And he showed us and revealed to us what we needed, not what we wanted. And so often in the church or in our marriages or at our jobs, in relationships, we set, we have expectations. And we end up hurting ourselves because the people in our lives can't meet those expectations. People come in, you know, whether it's, they come into a marriage with an agenda. They come into a job with an agenda. They come into a church with an agenda. And if it's not what they want, they get offended. They get upset. They disconnect. Things happen. And that's how the enemy works. That's how he operates. See, we have to look at our hearts. What is our motive? Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it because we want God and only God? What is it we want? You know, when I went in to see the show the other day, and and the movie was just starting, and I don't know what happened, but it was just like whenever I see something glorifying Jesus, I just get overwhelmed. It makes me just want to weep. I'm so Mm -hmm. excited that Jesus is getting lifted up, that he is being revealed, that his truth is being made known. Because it's about him. It's always got to be about what he did, who he is, and what he does, not who we are. Amen? The game changer, Palm Sunday again. Why was it that we call it Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday? Because they laid palm branches before him. Well, why was it palm branches? Why wasn't it another one of the trees, okay? Because palm branch is a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of triumph. 
It's a symbol of peace, and it's also a symbol of eternal life, okay, originating in the ancient world. The palm branch was also awarded to the victorious athletes in the Grecian cultures of ancient Greece in that day. And a palm tree itself is one of the most common attributes, if you want to term it, of victory personified in the ancient Rome. In Christianity, the palm tree became associated particularly with what we call here Palm Sunday today. Churches around the world are worshiping today because it's Palm Sunday. It's the five days or the six days, five days before the passion of the Christ that took out. This morning, last night, many of you may not, uh, may not know, but there was two churches that were celebrating Palm Sunday in Egypt, 70 miles, 70 kilometers outside of Cairo, and they were bombed this morning. And many believers were killed this morning as they were celebrating Palm Sunday in their sanctuary with God this morning with the Coptic Christians that are over there where there's been an incredible move of God, an incredible prayer movement that's moving on over there. So we can see that the the enemy hates Palm Sunday, okay? But it also, the Christians, the palm branches associated with the day today when according to Christian tradition, palm branches were waved at the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It was adopted, okay, many years ago to represent the victory of the martyrs or the victory of the spirit over the flesh inside of our individual lives. But what's really amazing about this, this isn't the only place where we see palm branches brought out. Number one, we see them also in 1 Kings 6, where we can see on the walls around the temple, both in the inner and the outer rooms are carved cherubims, palm trees, and open flowers are all there. So it's very, in the very sanctuary of God in the old was palm trees were there. But what's more amazing to me above everything else is how many know that there's a sealing of God that's going on in the world today? And I'm not going to develop the whole prophetic significance of Revelation 7, which I've done a whole uh, teaching on. It's taken me about eight weeks to actually get the whole teaching out because every one of the tribes is a prophetic name of what God is doing in and through the church, both Jew and Gentile in the church today. But he said after that sealing, he says this, and if people are trying to go back to the original 12, then you got hermeneutically, you're going to have some real issues with that there because three of the 12 tribes are different than the earlier ones that were there. And I'm not going to get into the Levites weren't even mentioned the original, but the Levites had a proportion here. So it says after here, and here's where the good news is. After this, I saw a vast crowd. Everybody say a vast crowd. Vast crowd. If it's vast, that means it's a great multitude, is even what the King James says. It says it's too great to count. And then it says something that's so significant in Revelation 7, 9. It says, from every nation and tribe in people and language. And it says, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And now notice what it says. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And then he says this here, and all the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings and there fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God, they sang, amen, blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving, honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. And everybody said... And then he says something in 13. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in what? It called the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. 
and made them white. Now, now I want to bring something out, number one, okay, is in case you haven't recognized, we are living in the greatest time in history of persecuting the saints. It's not just here. Listen, it's around the world today. If you want to go to the persecuted church called Voice of the Martyrs, a ministry that WCF has supported for decades over here to help those that have lost loved ones, to help those so that the families can continue on, the ministries can continue on, and we will continue to support them. But they have a map of the world today of persecution that is going on in the church. And it's got it broken down into severe persecution in red, It's got a a moderate persecution, and it's kind of like in a lime color out there. Then it's got little persecution. And the only places that little persecution is really taking place in is over in North America today. The rest of the world, it's amazing how it is increasing, how it is intensifying, and it's not secondhand. It's all documented cases of what's going on around the world that we live in. But the scripture also says, I didn't see a trickle, but I saw a great multitude out of every nation, every kindred and tongue. And listen very carefully. That's the time frame of history that you and I are in today. God has given us social media. God has given us the internet, not for the devil's plans and purposes to be fulfilled, but for the purposes of heaven to be fulfilled. And people are more open now. People are going to be coming in out of every nation. That includes North Korea. That includes Iran. That includes includes the Middle East countries, as well as the African countries, and as well as even North America and the rest of the world. It's not going to be a trickle. It says a great multitude, but the cost is going to be high. And that's why God today brings us to triumphal entry to say, listen, it's time to clean the attitudes. It's time to clean the judgmentalism. It's time to clean the sin. It's time to clean the things that have bound us up inside and get back to one thing. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations after he cleansed the temple. Listen, we want to clean up the world, but God said it's not the world. It's the world in the church that God wants to clean up because after he cleans up the world, then they brought in the sick. Then they brought in the broken. And guess what? They were healed and they were delivered. Maybe God is just visiting the church today to say, let's get back on our knees and become the house of prayer that God has called each one of us to be. Amen. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. That's what he came. But he came to establish that kingdom in us. You know, when he wraps everything up, he will, he will destroy this world, the things of this world, and he will establish his kingdom on earth. But he has to establish that kingdom in our hearts. And he needs us to be in, in communication with him through prayer and to know him. You know, when he was being persecuted, when he later on in the week, when he was arrested and then he, he began to go through his passion, you know, what were they accusing him of? They were accusing him of declaring that he was a king. Because he is a king. But when Pilate interviewed him, he said, I, my kingdom is not of this world. It is not That's of this right. world. Yes, I'm a king, it's a heavenly king. But it's not of this world. I have a different kingdom. And it's the opposite of this world. Right. So when the Roman soldiers put the, the purple robe on him and the crown of thorns on him and began to mock him, they were mocking his kingship. That's right. They were making fun of the fact that he thought he was a king. And then when they crucified him, they put on his cross, Jesus, King of the Jews. And so, you know, that was not the king they were looking for. They weren't looking for a crucified king. They weren't looking for that. They weren't looking for a change of heart. They weren't looking 
for what, right. you know, they really needed. They were just looking for what they wanted, mm-hmm. what they thought it should be. And so when they were putting down those palm branches, they believed that he was going to conquer. That's right. Rome. He was going to conquer them, conquer them from Rome, and that he was going to be able to free them. And he was going to be able to free them, but not the way they thought. And so, so often we don't look on the inside. We don't look at the heart of God and the motive of God. See, everything written in the old covenant was pointing to the work of the cross. That's what it's about. That was the secret plan of God, our redemption. Everything we need to know about God, we can learn through knowing and understanding the heart of God and why he went to, went to the cross and, and, and his spirit that led him there and, and caused him to rise from the dead and conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. And see, we need the heart of God. That's what he wants, his heart in us so that we can know him, that we can live in his presence and that we can walk with him and we can walk as overcomers. He says we are the light of the world. We're the ones that are go out to spread the gospel and to and to be that light to our friends and family and to set people free. Mm-hmm. You know, so often people will come up to me, even in this church, and and uh, well, mostly in this church, they'll come up and say, "You know what? My life has changed. That's right. My life has changed since I met Jesus. That's My right. marriage is different. You know, and and some people they don't change. Well, usually that's, that's because their expectation." is off. It's off. And they, they have another motive. Mm-hmm. And they're not truly making Jesus the king of their life. Mm-hmm. They're not truly surrendering to him mm-hmm. and submitting to what he wants in their lives. That's what he wants. He wants all of us, not part of us. He wants us to give our all to him because he is the king. He is our king. And we are kings and priests unto God to worship him and to serve him and to be that light in the darkness. We all know people around us that are needing him. We all know people struggling. When you truly connect with God, there is a heart change that happens on the inside. And it makes all things new, like he says. You can't tell me his word doesn't work. Because I know it works. I know it works. And I know many of you here know it works. But we are going to watch a video clip right now. Change the story. And it's called Change the Story. And it relates to the people that are out there. And all they need is the light. Someone to shine light in so that they can change. Their story can change. Amen.
totally amazing. You know, I look back in my life in the authorities that have been speaking into my life for years and things that they brought to my attention, blind spots inside of my life that I wasn't even aware at times that they were in. I remember one said that, Rick, we really like your preaching. We really like, but we sense there's an anger in it. And I said, really? They said, yeah, we, we sense there's an anger in it. And you know what? God opened up that blind spot. Now, now I hear more than ever that there's a compassion in it. But somebody spoke into my life, and I'm so appreciative of that individual who was there. Kathy spoke into my life many years ago about the mental sense of forgiveness. She didn't use those exact words, just that you haven't forgiven, and yet that was a very pivotal time inside of my life to break into those areas. And so when we speak about cleansing the temple, it's about these areas in our hearts. It's about the attitudes that we have. Do we look down upon one another? Do we look to one another for our needs? Are we looking to God for our needs? The Bible says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus because the needs that people have, I can't, I can't be there for every person's need and neither can you. But how many know God can? Because he's not limited to time and space as we would know him there. So the palm branches speaks about a time in history where we're laying down, listen very carefully, all of our desires and picking up his We're laying down the areas that keeps us bound up and then picking up his. When his heart, one of my cries daily is, God, I want your heart to be my heart. Mm -hmm. Because how many know we got the heart of God? We we see people differently. We talk differently. We see life even differently from that standpoint. See, the scriptures teach us about Palm and Passion Sunday as we know it here. Why did God have it? Well, number one is to definitely fulfill what the prophet Zechariah said. Behold, your king, he comes to you triumphant and victorious. He is humble, riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. So we can see that there that's brought out, that they put all their garments on, speaking about laying down their life to the king that they're in in covenant with over there. But second of all, it's very, very interesting. The donkey is also an integral part of the story that we see in Abraham. And we see that Abraham in Genesis 22, it says, Now it came to pass that after these things God tested Abraham, tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said to him, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer them here, him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. He didn't know what the, offer, uh, what the uh, mountain was going to be, but he says, as you go, I'm going to show you the mountain. I'm going to tell you which mountain it's going to be on. And then notice what it says in the next verse, if you can bring right down. It says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Isn't it amazing? He saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac and then he chopped wood for a fire and a burnt offering and set out from the place that God had told him about. But look at this next verse over here that it says, okay? Uh, it, it tells us in verse number four, if you want to get a hold of this here, come right down, guys, okay? In verse number four, it says, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Isn't it amazing as he simply obeyed the instruction that God had given to him, 
okay? As he went, God didn't tell him exactly where it's at. He says, I'll show you once you go. So Abraham took a step of faith. The Bible teaches us about the obedience of faith in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 16. Starts off the epistle and finishes it with that. But it was on the third day in the distance that he actually looked up and saw the place. That place that he saw was the Mount of Moriah, was the exact spot that the Son of God years later laid down his life on. It was all a perfect type. So we see not only the fulfilling of the prophetic word with the donkey, but also we see the fulfilling of the prophetic word over here in the obedience of the faith. The third reason that we see this here brought out over here on Palm Sunday is that King Solomon, he wrote into the Messianic coronation, okay, on a mule that had once belonged actually to his father David. You can read the story in 1 Kings if you want to call it chapter 1. And it said, the king said to them, take Solomon and my officials down to the Gihon Spring. And we've been there. Solomon is to ride on my own mule. And there Zadok and the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him as king of Israel. Blow the ram's horn and shout, long live King Solomon. So we can see it's a prophetic fulfillment of the anointing of the king. We can see that Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God, the King of Israel, the King of the Jews, to take away the sins of the world. But how many know he's coming up the second time to set up his eternal kingdoms? The Bible says the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he's going to reign for how long? Forever. It's an everlasting kingdom that we need to know. Daniel 2 says, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left alone to another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. But it itself will endure forever. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell, the kingdom of hell, are not going to prevail against the church. How many know the church will be victorious in these last days? The church will be widespread in these last days like no other time. But the last reason that we see Palm Sunday, the king coming in, was even in the time of King Jehu, when he rode into Samaria over the garments of his inheritance in order to destroy the temple, if you want to term it, of the false gods Baal. And it says one of the first things that he actually did was he came in and destroyed that temple. Well, God wants to destroy all the things in the temple today that have been placed there of greed, all the things in the temple that have been placed there of fears, all the things in the temple of insecurity, and all the areas of bondages. He wants them replaced so that the kingdom of heaven can take place inside, which is comprised of righteousness, your identity, peace, the byproduct of it, and then joy, the fulfillment of it today. For God says, for he that serveth Christ in these things becomes in agreement with everything heaven is saying and doing. How many want to agree with everything heaven's saying today? How many want to be in the will of God today? Well, the Bible says we serve him not in unrighteous, but in righteousness, not in strife and chaos, but in peace. And then the byproduct is going to be the joy of the Lord, which is going to be your strength. Your life is determined by the ability to resist the forces that want to steal your joy, that want to destroy your life. But God says you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why? Because the authority and the mandate has been put upon you. It's time to take the palm branch and say, King Jesus, rise up. King Jesus, take the ascendancy in my heart. King Jesus, be number one in the depths of my heart. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. Amen. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have 
the forgiveness of sins. We've already been transferred yep. into the kingdom of God. When he died on the cross, he said he, it is finished. That meant everything that he had to do to, to establish the kingdom of God was done. Right. He did it. The Come kingdom on. was now there for us to take part of in our hearts. But if you have wrong motives, if you have false right. expectations, if you have your own agenda, guess what? You're not going to have this, the results that you want inside. And, and so that's what we need. We need to look at our hearts today. We need to ask ourselves. We need to give permission for the Holy Spirit to show us, is my motives wrong? Do I have a wrong expectation? Am I expecting something different? Because he said, this is what we should believe, is that we're supposed to what? Take up our cross daily, daily and follow him. Well, a lot of people don't want to do that. Because they have a different expectation, a different motive, a different purpose. Sure. And if you're not going to do that, then you're not going to have the connection that you need to have with God. And so we need to ask ourselves, is there something holding us back? Is there mm -hmm. something we have not surrendered to him? Is there something that we're trying to do that's not of him? And, and then we need to look at that and, and surrender that to God. Mm -hmm. See, when we go into marriage... If you go into marriage and you're looking for your spouse to meet your needs, your every need. Now, your spouse is supposed to meet needs, but they can't fulfill you in every way. It's impossible. Nor can you them. So we need to look to God and look, how that's can right. I meet my spouse's right. needs? See, that's laying down your life. That's right. Right? That's what laying down your life is. It's not about me. As long as it's about you, it doesn't work. Because you're doing the opposite of the kingdom of God. So this week, we want you to look at your hearts and do honor God. See, you have to have fear of God. You have to have fear of God. And that means reverence and respect. Wanting to please him. Wanting to do what he wants. And, and uh, Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. You know, we need to revere God. We need to go to God. God, what is it you want me to do? Right. You know, recently, actually, numbered many times, people will come to me and they'll say, um, "Well, God hasn't done this for me yet." And my answer to them is, "Does that mean you're going to stop serving Him?" In other words, you have an agenda, right? Your our attitude, reverencing God, means God, I'm going to serve you no matter what. That's right. I'm trusting you that you're going to hear my prayer. I'm trusting you that you're going to meet my needs. But you know what? It's not about that. It's about you. That's right. And then the second thing is give him the praise and honor that is due to him. Sing praises to him. Honor him. Thank him. Some people say, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for. Mm. How about the cross? Mm. How about forgiveness of sins? How about Come the on. Holy Spirit? How about the Come word on. of God? How about the fact that you have breath in your lungs? How about you live in Canada? Come on. One of the best countries in the world. How about that maybe you have food to eat? You know, there's so many things we can be thankful for. A murmuring, ungrateful spirit yeah. will quench the spirit in your life. Pastor Rick preached last Monday night when we were in Newmarket. Absolutely the best message I ever heard on that. He did an awesome job. And... Uh, did very good. <laughs> I just heard it all <laughs> It was amazing. And it's the key. It's the key to getting into the presence of God is gratitude. And then honor God through loving others. 
loving others, meeting the needs of others. You know, when we do those things, it all comes together because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The things that you need will be added unto you. But the problem with so many people is, but I don't want to do those things. I want God to do this. And God's saying, I'll do that when you do this. <laughs> and, and, you know, it doesn't, it, you, you have to, you have to work. It's like, you know, it's like buying a bunch of exercise equipment and looking at it and saying, I want you to get me in shape. It doesn't work if you don't get That's on it true. and use it. If you don't take the tools God's given you, and he's given you all the tools. That's right. He's given you everything you need. You just have to start doing it. And that means starting with what's in my heart. What are my motives? Why am I doing this? What's my attitude towards God? Am I worshiping him? Yeah. Am I grateful? Am I thankful? Do I seek him? Do I want him first in my life? Or is he just there on the sidelines and supposed to bless me when I need him? What's our heart? Let's go break bread. Okay. Let's all stand together. And, and while you're standing, just reflect on a few things. Remember that, number one, the triumphal entry of the king. And he's number one in our lives. Because I've said this for, for the last 30-some years. It only works when God's number one. There's a theology today that teaches... It's all the completed work of Jesus, which it is. We can't add to what he's already done. But I've also learned in the Bible that faith, if it doesn't have corresponding action, it's dead. A lot of people just believe, well, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. Well, I'm, I'm of the theology out there. God's already done what he already had to do to give us all the keys, to give us all the tools, to give us all the weapons that we'll ever need. But he's given us and he's looking for dividends on those things. God's looking for a return. You can read the parables in Matthew 24 and 25, and you'll see that. But the most important thing that I've learned is that God came, and he went in to the city of Jerusalem to clean the temple out. Amen? And it's the city of peace, because number one, peace means uh, complete. It means nothing lacking, nothing missing. Everything you'll ever have need of is already invested inside of you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's soundness. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a, what kind of mind? A sound mind. Speaking of what? Showing good judgment, enduring character. Prosperity is another part of that peace. Beloved, I desire above all things that thou mayest prosper. Have a good journey in life. Come on, church, okay? The condition of being successful, having a favorable outcome. This is all entering into Jerusalem. This is what God's desire and plan is that our hearts would be his Jerusalem. I'll say it again, that our hearts would be his Jerusalem, the habitation. And then we see over there, shalom is health and healing. We know that himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being died to sins might live for righteousness and by whose stripes you were healed. It means to restore. God wants us restored. God wants us to the place where uh, recompense to the enemies, not to, uh, to one another, but to the enemies. God wants us to be in safety. God wants us in harmonious relationship. This is all peace. God wants us to be well off in a good position or a good condition. God wants us rejoicing and glad. And God wants us in the place of rest, tranquility, and he wants us contentment. And finally, God wants to release evangelism. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 2, that we can live a quiet and a peaceful life so that God could have his way so that he can reach the harvest that's out there. 
So if anybody today, you needed to hear the message, just raise your hand right now. If this was there, and maybe there's just something in the heart that just needs to be adjusted or something in that. Raise your hand. Just wave it at me today. Just wave it. Father God, today, thank you that you see our hands, you see our hearts, you see each of us. And God, I look in my life in the areas that you've made those adjustments, those areas that you've spoken into my life, there that used even my authorities to just correct and to bring things into my life that has adjusted things. And I see, God, that I'm better today because of that. And so, Father, today we submit those chains, we submit those cords, and we just say we want to be loose today. We want to be loose not just of infirmities, but we want to be loosed of mindsets and those things that would hinder the purpose of God in our life rather than help the purpose of God in our life. And so, Father God, we cut the cords of iniquities. We cut the cords of lawlessness. We cut the cords off of our individual hearts, all of us that are here today, so that we could be the clean temple that you've called us to be, that healing could flow, that restoration can flow, that contentment can flow, that that place of protection can flow, and that your goodness and mercy can flow in and through each of us to be those that would restore the breaches that the enemy has built. So, Father, as we partake of the bread today, release every good gift inside of us. Release the full law of the spirit of life that is in operation in Christ Jesus. And we break the cords of sin and death off our life through the cross of Christ. Let us partake together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no greater gift to us than that he laid down his life and shed his blood to redeem us and to reconcile us to you. Lord, we just thank you for the cross. We thank you for all that Jesus endured for us. Lord, that he is our king. A king that wants to be king of our hearts to change us from the inside out. So, Father, as we take this cup, we commit our hearts afresh and anew to lay down anything that's not of you. That's right. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.